pretty good success in uh, <laughs> politics. <laughs> Even a goat? Welcome to I Tell My Husband the News. I'm Shannon Ray Green, a journalist at USA Today. Each week, I catch my husband up on all the stories he may have missed. He doesn't really like to read or watch the news, so I'm pretty much his sole news source. It's a big responsibility. My husband, Dusty Terrell, is a local comedian in the Washington, D.C. area. Thanks for being here, Dusty. Thanks for having me, Shannon. Good to see you, Dusty. (laughs) You too, sugar. I saw you all weekend this weekend, though. That's right. It was Fabulous. We went on a little trip down to Orlando for a big friends weekend. We had a good time, right? It was fun. Yeah. Mostly it was just nice to be outside in the warm sun by the pool. And to be with cool people. It was fun. Well, we got no new reviews over the weekend. Um, So if you're so inclined, please go to Stitcher or to Apple or to wherever you listen to your podcast and give us a review. It really makes a big difference for the show and for growing our audience. And if you like the show and it makes you happy, spread the love, right? We also got no emails um, and no new tweets. So as a reminder, you can always tweet us. I'm at Shannon Ray Green. And I'm at Dusty Terrell. And you can email us at I tell my husband the news at usatoday.com. A team of orchid scouts are searching for some of the rarest flowers in Delaware. Is that a job, orchid scout? I think it's a team of volunteers. So it's like a job that just doesn't pay very well? This was written by my colleague Maddie Loria, who works at the Delaware News Journal, which is part of the USA Today network. She writes, In less than two weeks, spring will be knocking on Delaware's door. But in the middle of winter, a handful of adventurous citizen scientists were tiptoeing through the woods to search for some of the rarest flowers in the first state. For these volunteer orchid scouts, the barren days of winter can be the perfect time to find some orchid species. Bright green leaves pop in the barren undergrowth, the seasonal chills suppressing foliage that would otherwise overwhelm the green frost-fighting leaves of two orchids native to Delaware. Volunteer Janet Jacoby said, quote, that's the best time. You don't have all those other things in the way, but I look for them all year round, unquote. The math teacher and North Wilmington resident is one of about two dozen volunteers working with orchid ecologist Adrian Bozik and Hawkinson's Mount Cuba Center to document how many of the flowering plants are still living in the wildest places left in Delaware. Armed with modern technology and GPS coordinates, Jacoby and the other scouts searched the state for new and old orchid hotspots. But landscapes in the country's second smallest state have changed a lot in the last four decades, Bozik said. Jacoby said, quote, I got so upset when I went to the beach looking for orchids, seeing all of the development everywhere. There was only one plant in the one very hard location to find, unquote. It wasn't always that way. Yellow lady slippers were once scattered throughout Delaware, while another orchid species grew in a nearly straight line along Delaware's southern coast. That's according to Bozik. Many native orchids have met their demise when people, hoping to enjoy them at home, dig them up. But wild orchids rarely survive transplants. Again, that's according to Bozik. Most orchids are also extremely picky and depend on specific fungi and pollinators to survive in the wild. Jacoby said, quote, The program at Mount Cuba, we stretch it to three years, but I feel like we're just starting to know where the orchids are. We're just scratching the surface, unquote. 
The scout's petal-loving leader first became entranced with orchids while studying rare species of this unique flower type as part of her master's degree. After joining the team at Mount Cuba in 2017 as the Native Gardens orchid ecologist, she embarked on a quest to figure out the state of native orchids in Delaware. Bozick said, quote, it's like a treasure hunt. It's magical, unquote. From the sandy coast of Delaware to wetlands and upland woods, up to 36 types of orchids have been found quietly growing on the ground, possibly in people's backyards. Bozick said that today that number is closer to 23, with eight varieties considered extremely rare and in need of conservation. Bozick said while there are historical records of orchid locations in Delaware, no one has ever taken on such a systematic approach to mapping the plant here. She said, quote, just knowing they're there is enchanting, unquote. As one of the most diverse species of flowers, there are tens of thousands of orchid varieties. Orchids have a lot to teach the scientific community about the degree and magnitude of evolution. The most important story these orchids have to tell, though, may be about the health of the ecosystems they live in. Bozick said that native orchid species rely on perfect environmental conditions, fungal partners, and particular pollinators for survival. It has taken millennia for them to perfect their pickiness, she said. She said, quote, Orchids have scientific merits because of adaptation and diversity, but also because they can be an indicator in the decline of these habitats. Smithsonian Institution researcher Melissa McCormick told Mount Cuba communications manager Katie Bari in advance of her March 16th lecture this, quote, The comparison that's often made is that they're a canary in a coal mine. They're very sensitive to the quality of the environment, and they often show changes in the environment before any other species are going to be affected, unquote. With threats to orchids' existence coming from nearly every which way, from invasive plants that overwhelm their native ecosystems, to people building and developing previously untouched lands, to the impacts of climate change, documenting what can be found in the woods, wetlands, and sandy systems in 2019 will set a baseline to figure out whether native orchids are increasing or declining. Bozick said she suspects the data will point to the latter. She said, quote, I haven't crunched the numbers yet, but it seems they're on a strong downward trend. They're rapidly disappearing from the landscape, in large part due to human activities, unquote. Having a clear understanding of the plight of orchid species in Delaware at least could give scientists and conservationists the tools to figure out what needs to be done to change the trend. Bozick said, quote, A world without orchids would resemble a Walmart parking lot. Because if there's no orchids, that means things have degraded beyond the point which orchids can survive. And that's not a fun place to be, unquote. You can learn more about native orchids if you live in the Delaware area. There's a lecture that's happening this Saturday, March 16th, from 11 a.m. to 12.15 p.m. called Unlocking the Mystery of Native Orchids. And it's happening at the Main House Lecture Room 1 at Mount Cuba Center, which is at 3120 Barley Mill Road in Hawkinson in Delaware. It costs $20. And for more info, you can go to mtcubacenter.org or call 302-239-4244. I think there might be another reason why the orchids aren't living in Delaware anymore. They get sick of paying all those tolls on the roads. <laughs> Traveling all around, it's just too expensive. Yeah, it's tough to be in a place where the population keeps growing. It seems like mapping out Delaware would be pretty easy. It's a pretty <laughs> pretty small state. We could probably get like 20 people together. <laughs> I'll hold hands and just walk across the whole thing in about, I don't know, two hours or so. (laughs) You know that orchids are a resilient plant because uh, we have one in our house and I haven't killed it yet, so... That's incredible to me. Yeah.
a historic shift, APS says batteries are the cheapest energy option, and it plans a big investment. APS is planning several batteries on the power grid in Arizona. This was written by my colleague Ryan Randazzo, who works for the Arizona Republic, which is part of the USA Today network. He writes, The energy market in the Southwest has hit a turning point. According to officials from Arizona Public Service Company, the company says battery prices are falling so low that the technology is now the least expensive way to provide customers electricity. To take advantage of the historic shift, Arizona's biggest electric company will spend hundreds of millions of dollars to add large building-sized batteries to the power grid across Arizona. APS will use the batteries to soak up surplus energy on the grid early in the day when solar power plants across the region are pumping out more electricity than the homes and businesses require. In Arizona, they got a lot of sun. So much sun. (laughs) It's cool that there's ever extra. Uh, That's fascinating to me. Yeah, it's good that they're putting some good use to it. Yeah. I knew you would be super interested in this story. I mean, that's the whole point of this podcast, right? (laughs) You like orchids, and you like figuring out how to save up energy. So this was a good day for you. But normally I like to figure out how to save up energy to benefit me in somehow. The batteries will then discharge that power in the evening when the sun sets, solar panels power down for the night, and customers turn on their lights and need the energy. The 850 megawatts of batteries planned by APS will make better use of the solar already on the grid. They will allow for more people to add solar panels to their roofs and utilities to build more solar power plants without creating problems on the grid. That's according to officials. APS President Jeff Goldner said, quote, 850 megawatts shows you how incredibly transformational what we've seen happening on the grid is and how quickly that has been evolving. The holy grail in the industry right now is trying to figure out how we capture solar energy during the day when there is tons on the system and then use it later when the sun goes down, unquote. The amount of batteries APS plans to add by 2025 is more than the 338 megawatts of batteries the entire U.S. utility industry added last year. That's based on estimates from the Edison Electric Institute. APS does not offer cost estimates for the entire project because of proprietary information from its construction partners and because not all the work has been put out to bid. APS officials said that in general, 100 megawatts of battery capacity with four hour of storage cost about $120 million. That would put the total cost of the projects at more than $1 billion. APS will own some of the projects and purchase power from others. The batteries will displace traditional power plants, particularly natural gas fire generators, and increase the amount of renewable energy that APS uses. APS today gets about 14% of its power supply from renewable sources like solar and wind. That's well ahead of an incremental state rule that requires the utility to get 9% from those sources today and 15% by 2025. The batteries will increase the number of renewables in APS's power supply by another 3 to 4%, officials said. Goldner cited the days during the year, 81 in 2018, that APS is actually paid to take surplus solar power from California because it is more economical for that state's utilities to keep its power plants running than to shut them down midday and then restart them when demand picks up. When APS accepts that power, it often curtails its own solar power plants because the energy isn't needed at those times. That's especially true in the spring and fall when the sun shines bright, but few people are running air conditioners or electric heaters. With the place to store that surplus midday energy, he said that more of the power can be used to serve APS customers with solar after dark. 
ABS already has two batteries on its power grid and plans for a larger project to be online by 2021. Batteries can be used to provide various amounts of power. For example, a 50-megawatt battery with four hours of storage can provide 50 megawatts of power for four hours or 25 megawatts of power for eight hours. All of the batteries APS plans to add could supply their full capacity of power for three to four hours. One megawatt is approximately enough energy to power 250 homes. The 850 megawatts of the battery's APS plans will, therefore, be enough to supply about 212,500 homes for three to four hours. Like many other utilities, APS is phasing out most of its power supply that comes from coal-fired power plants. The company is one of the participants in the Navajo generating station outside of Page that is scheduled to close this year. And APS also has plans to either close or convert its Choya power plant in Joseph City to gas. Coal plants are considered baseload power plants because they run 24 hours a day most of the year. Solar, on the other hand, only generates power during daylight hours. As utilities rely more on solar and less on coal, they increasingly have used natural gas to ensure they generate enough power at sunset when customers require continued service. Gas plants are well-suited for this purpose because they can ramp up and down to follow customer demand. Coal and nuclear plants are inefficient and expensive to turn off and on, and solar without batteries has little flexibility because it relies on the sun. Daniel Frotscher is the APS Executive Vice President of Operations. He said, quote, we need a glide path out of coal, unquote. As part of its plan to invest big in battery technology, APS will continue to rely on gas, officials said, but to the least extent possible. Rather than buy or build a new gas plant, the company is contracting for 460 megawatts of natural gas for seven years from a plant owned by Calpine, south of Bullhead City. Rather than purchasing a gas plant or signing a more traditional 20-year contract, the short contract will allow APS to determine the most prudent way to meet demand after that contract expires. He said that might turn out to be more batteries and solar, not gas. Frotscher said, quote, We believe now that utility-scale battery storage from a technology standpoint is sufficiently viable to begin to displace, if you will, what has been virtually exclusively natural gas as that flexible, ramping, backstop resource, unquote. Batteries give utilities flexibility in how they meet demand from customers and can reduce how much they rely on natural gas plants. He said, quote, We believe now we are at the right stage as an industry, and from a technology standpoint, to begin to go down this path, unquote. I bet that Bunny and his drum are pretty excited about this whole thing. <laughs> I don't know if it's that kind of batteries you're thinking of. But aren't you fascinated by this, that this is in practice? I mean, it's... Fascinated. <laughs> I wonder, since they got all this extra electricity, could they mail us some or just put it... <laughs> I think that's kind of how it works, but you have to pay for it. It's not It's not by the U.S. Postal Service. It just gets sent to you, and you have to pay for it. That's too bad. <laughs> and last today, we've got the lightning-fast headline roundup. Does Dusty care about these stories in the slightest? Here we go. Michelle Wee gets engaged to son of NBA legend. Did you just set, tell me that two people I don't know are going to get married? <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> Schwarzenegger spills on wedding with Pratt. Do you think as his father-in-law, Arnold Schwarzenegger is going to make Chris Pratt put him in his next movie, his next big movie? <laughs> this is the richest person in every state. You won't find my name on that list, Shannon. <laughs> <sighs> 
we can't we can't continue to be married then. Oh no! <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. I was just, just gonna uh, say maybe rich in love, but not even oh, that. It appears. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> just a dumb joke. Don't you love dumb jokes? Isn't that something yeah. you love? I prefer my smart jokes, but I guess <laughs> your dumb jokes are fine. <laughs> I also prefer your smart jokes over my dumb jokes. Jaw fossils lead to new wallaby-sized dinosaur. If I can figure out how to time travel, I suppose that will be my first choice for dinosaur pet. <laughs> Stains Aaron Lewis curses and cuts concert short. People are still going to stained concerts? <laughs> Racketology. Duke or Kentucky for final one seed. We need to see some new teams in these uh, in these positions. Sure. Same teams every year. Yeah. Maybe some, I don't know, Arizona State. <laughs> Go Sun Devils. Richard Branson wants you to have more vacation time. He and I agree. <laughs> Here's your cheat sheet for sounding car smart. Uh, my cheat sheet is talk about how those pedals make it go. <laughs> that's not car smart. That's car dumb. <laughs> I just need a smart car, right? I need uh, yeah, that's one all. that'll drive me. I don't need to sound smart. Rick Steves on what's new in Spain and Portugal. When you and I travel to those types of places, we want to know what's old. That's what I want to know. <laughs> 60 years of Barbie evolution in under 60 seconds. Does it start from like a really hairy Barbie kind of <laughs> bent over on all fours <laughs> and eventually slowly straightens up and becomes less hairy? Lincoln the Goat was just elected mayor of a Vermont town. I think people named Lincoln have had pretty good success in uh, <laughs> politics. <laughs> Even a goat? Even a non-human named Lincoln? Hey, we should give him a shot. <laughs> There's now DNA testing for dogs. I think the whole concept is, how can we get some money out of people who love their dogs? <laughs> Next week on I Tell My Husband the News, well, I don't know, it hasn't happened yet. That's why it's called the news. <laughs> I Tell My Husband the News is part of the USA Today podcast network. New episodes come out every Monday. If you want to check out other podcasts from all across the USA Today network, just go to podcast.usatoday.com or find them wherever you listen to podcasts like Stitcher, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye.